thing that has been so heartwarming are the individual donations that have come in, including children. We had one little girl who sold artwork to benefit the CDC Foundation. We've had children doing uh, birthday celebrations on Facebook and asking people to give. And so it's, in many ways, this pandemic has brought public health really to the public. Welcome to The Value in Giving. I'm your host and president of Vanguard Charitable, Jane Greenfield. On this podcast, we'll hear from leaders across the world of philanthropy. They'll share tips and stories with us to help people and organizations make the most of their charitable efforts. Today, we have the opportunity to chat with Dr. Judy Monroe, president and CEO of the CDC Foundation. Not only do I have a chance to ask Judy questions about the CDC Foundation's COVID-19 relief efforts, but also perhaps a little advice on how all we as individuals can navigate this new world. Welcome, Judy. Thank you. Great to be with you. Oh, great. Well, listen, it is May 2020, and we are in the midst of a pandemic. And I will say there are three initials that are often mentioned in the news and in conversation, and that is CDC. So you're the leader of the CDC Foundation. How does that relate to the CDC? And what is your organization's role? Yes. So, of course, everyone hears CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control and a a federal agency that's been around over 70 years uh, protecting America and the world, particularly against infectious disease, but others as well. The CDC Foundation is a nonprofit organization. We're an independent nonprofit authorized by Congress to support the Centers for Disease Control. We're in our 25th year of operation, uh, and our mission is really to support public health at large with this special opportunity to support CDC. Tell us a bit about your background, Judy, and what brought you to the CDC Foundation? Growing up, I always uh, imagined being a physician. So my plan was actually to uh, go into medicine and practice medicine in a community, which I did. I uh, took a National Health Service Corps uh, commitment and practiced in Appalachia right out of my residency uh, in family medicine and practiced full spectrum. And I was loving it. Uh, But, you know, along the way, I was married and we were starting a family. And my husband is also a physician and he wanted an academic career. So I I ventured into academia, uh, became a residency program director in Indiana. But then in 2005, uh, Mitch Daniels, who was governor of Indiana at the time, needed a new health officer. And I got tapped on the shoulder to see if I might join him as the state health officer. So that was my you know, I suddenly transitioned from being a practicing physician and an educator to uh, a state public health official. Um, I loved being in public health. And in uh, 2010, I was uh, asked to come to CDC uh, to stand up a new office of state, tribal, local, and territorial support. So I, I spent six years at CDC supporting all the health departments across the nation and uh, working very closely with the experts at CDC. I was a deputy director of the agency And then it was in 2016 that I uh, uh, became president and CEO of the CDC Foundation. Well, you know, you you bring up a good point. I mean, this is not the first epidemic or pandemic or, you know, health crisis that you've had to work on, you or your organization. So do you have any observations to share on what might be different about this pandemic than perhaps some other disasters that you've dealt with in the past? 
Yes, absolutely. So actually, in 2005, um, when I became state health officer, the very first thing that uh, I was uh, involved in was pandemic preparedness planning, because at that time in history, uh, we were worried about the H5N1 avian influenza creating a pandemic, and and that virus can cause up to 60% of people to die. So the good news is we didn't have, that didn't cause a pandemic, but we did a lot of planning. And then in 2009, the H1N1 pandemic, uh, we had a novel virus uh, emerge and, and we had a pandemic from that. But H1N1 didn't cause the economic devastation that we're seeing uh, with COVID. Um, and then Ebola, if you go to Ebola, that was West Africa primarily. We remember everything that happened here in the U.S., uh, but that was transmitted by direct contact. So a very different way to the pathogen was was transmitted much higher death rate though and then and then we had zika that took the world by surprise with the we'd never before seen a mosquito carry a virus that caused birth defects um and so i by that time i was at the foundation and we played a, a big role uh, both of course i'd mentioned ebola but played a big role with the the zika epidemic as well every epidemic is different every pandemic uh is different because of the pathogen but I think this one, the, the big thing here is that it's um, everywhere simultaneously. And that's the definition of a pandemic. And the, the challenge here is, uh, is quite great with COVID. It's interesting to hear your thoughts there. It sounds like while everything, every pandemic is different, every epidemic, every crisis is different. Are there, are there approaches that you take that are consistent in kind of assessing and figuring out how to approach it? Yes, yeah, so that, that really goes back to public health infrastructure and core public health. Uh, in every, every epidemic, obviously you need laboratory capacity because uh, we need to be able to study and test and uh, determine. Um, in every epidemic, there's the early quest to develop a vaccine or therapeutics because if it's new, we don't have that. Uh, so those are very, very basic. And then their uh, core public health does require good epidemiology. Uh, and that's really beginning to understand what the virus is doing or whatever the pathogen might be. And then that contact tracing, it's very important to know where the cases are, why did they get it, how they get it, who are their contacts. And because and, at the end of the day, you want to stop the spread of any new infectious disease. You do that by limiting the risk factors, whether that's a mosquito. You know, so approaching Zika was very, very different, though, because the how do you mitigate that is different when it's a mosquito versus a respiratory virus uh, such as COVID. That's a great point. So it's also a great segue to maybe get a little bit deeper into COVID-19 itself. So tell me, how has the CDC Foundation been supporting COVID-19 relief here and not only in the U.S., but perhaps around the world? Yeah, so we are a global, the CDC Foundation uh, in any given year, we're in upwards to 140 countries. So we do support international work uh, as well as across the U.S. And so we've been asked both by CDC and by local health departments and partners on the ground to, to support them. We start by announcing our COVID response fund and went out starting to, uh, you know, raise funds and, and build up the resources. But we've uh, supported the, the response in multiple ways, uh, all the way from very basic needs because we've got vulnerable populations. We have people that need to be in quarantine or isolated that need, you know, just even food or basic things, medicines. We've been able to support some of that. 
We've also uh, helped various communities, uh, major challenges. We've all heard about our long-term care facilities. So we've actually been able to support a number of initiatives around around that. But going beyond that, CDC has requested us to help support some research. Thinking about Zika with pregnant women, uh, we don't know yet what this virus does to pregnant women and infants. That needs to be studied and looked at. So we've been able to support a, a, a pregnancy registry and some research there. Uh, communications, I should mention. Think about all the diverse populations and communities and how they receive information. Breaking through and getting credible information to all the variety of, of people, languages. Uh, so communications has been a big area. And now, most recently, we're very involved with the contact tracing and helping to do search staffing. So we've been doing uh, hiring of staff as well to help across the country. Um, and then on the international side, we're supporting several countries in Africa with their public health infrastructure uh, that's needed. But one area that I didn't mention was the, the work that we've done at the foundation to uh, acquire and distribute uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, to help support uh, frontline workers. We've worked with a number of health departments and health systems uh, to do that, and we've had donors uh, actually give us uh, like N95 masks that then they trusted us to distribute those to the areas most needed. Um, Another thing that we've done as we think about reopening our economy and moving forward, we've partnered uh, with Levitt Partners. And uh, folks might remember uh, Mike Levitt, who was Secretary of Health and Human Services during all the pandemic preparedness planning that we did. We've partnered uh, with them to do a series of virtual meetings uh, with uh, like retailers, early childhood, uh, you know, childcare uh, settings and K through 12 to help them understand CDC's guidelines for opening up and then giving them some practical tools and a framework to be able to, in a very practical way, customize for their unique settings how to safely uh, reopen uh, and get our economy going again. Well, that's great to hear. You've obviously been leveraging all the donations that you're getting, and that's great for us to hear because our donors have been really strong supporters of the CDC Foundation through this crisis. I know they're not alone. I know you're getting a lot of support. So you've described the immediate efforts that you've been focused on and kind of where you're starting to focus next. But, you know, we think about the fact that we, we still feel like we're in immediate response mode right now. And then there's going to be the next phase of this disaster, which typically people would call recovery. Um, what are some of the areas, if I'm a donor and I'm thinking about giving my next gift to the CDC Foundation, what are some of the next areas that you're going to be supporting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I would say, you know, one of the most important things in a very overarching way is that we need to have what I would call COVID-confident communities. COVID is going to be with us for a while, so we need to have adaptive strategies uh, and we need to support those uh, and the behaviors of all individuals make a big difference, right? Um, and so as we're looking, not just short term, but longer term, so example, even with contact tracers, we believe strongly that the army of contact tracers that are being that should be hired because that'll help with some of the job losses and and um, so that's that's a principle by which we're kind of living. We love to see them hired and have benefits uh, because that can be a win-win. Uh, so thinking about our social determinants of health, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of thought leaders, and I think going forward, we also want to be very strategic 
Um, I, I would say that uh, collaboration is a, is a key and coming together with the best thinking so that we take the philanthropic funds and, and use those in a strategic fashion. And that needs to be woven with what the federal government or state governments or any, any government funding is doing. So we have a, a big eye toward that. We're, we're watching closely uh, where the gaps are and where we might be able to build systems. Because at the end, on the other side of this, we need a stronger public health infrastructure. We need stronger healthcare system. We've seen some of the holes. Uh, sadly, COVID has, has really put on display uh, where our deficiencies are, and we need to really rally collectively. And uh, we can do this. We can come out stronger if, if we do it collectively. Well, that's great. And we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute, because I think in so many conversations that I'm in, people are stepping back and thinking about, you know, what has COVID exposed to us that suggests that we need to evolve, we need to get better. And that's on all sorts of different topics, but no topic more important than our healthcare system. So we will come back to that, Judy. But first, let me just uh, dive a little bit into the philanthropic giving element of what you're seeing. Uh, so I'll share that we have seen during this time such a great uh, and positive change in our donors in that they're just giving a whole heck of a lot more. Our grants out to organizations are up 50% year over year, and that's off a record year of granting last year. So the volume of grants, the volume of support going out the door is incredible. It's truly inspiring. And we're also seeing that our donors are really engaged in thinking about how best to give. So I'll give you a, a quick example. Um, we try to provide a lot of information to our donors so that as they're giving, they're giving in the most um, impactful way possible. And one of the things that we have mentioned to them for a long time, but we've really reiterated during this time, is the power of giving in an unrestricted manner. So what I mean by that is instead of saying the purpose of my grant is X and X specifically, you're saying area of most need. And that puts the leaders at the charity in a position of really leveraging it strategically, to your point, leveraging it in a way that has immediate impact or is available for kind of strategic impact down the road. Are you noticing any changes, any differences in the way people are giving to the CDC Foundation? Yes. Yeah, so thank you for that. And I, first of all, I have to tell you, I wake up every morning being thankful for our donors and thankful for the generosity that uh, we have seen uh, during COVID because the need is great. So I would echo what you said. We have, we have seen donors come forth with more unrestricted donations for COVID, which is, is just so important to the work that we do. I've been able, uh, along with my team at the CDC Foundation, we've been able to make some critical investments in things that needed to be done right away, right? Anytime you have an emergency like this, you can't always predict where the greatest need is going to be the next day. But when those opportunities come, if you've got the flexible funds to be able to seize the moment. Um, so we've been able to invest in, uh, as an example, in some ways, sometimes it's even smaller dollar amounts but they're timely, they're, they're invested at the right time. So with some of the digital tools and digital solutions for contact tracing and, and the, some of the things we need, we've had the opportunity to invest in some of the most promising of those digital tools to help public health. And now they're being field tested. Um, and some of those other donors or even government have come in behind us and now are, are funding at a greater uh, amount. And so that's really leveraging the philanthropic dollars where they're, they're catalytic, 
uh, they really, really push the envelope. So we've seen that. We've also seen, and I have to, I have to tell you, it's been so heartwarming. Uh, the CDC Foundation has has received support from sports teams, as an example, the NFL, the National Hockey League. Uh, we had uh, there was a Saturday Night Seder to raise funds for us. That uh, Jason Alexander <laughs> was kind of the lead, but a lot of stars were part of that. Of course, a lot of folks are doing virtual fundraising now. Um, I've been invited to come on and say a few words at the country music uh, events that have been online. It's just been across the across the spectrum. And, and then the other thing that has been so heartwarming are the individual donations that have come in, including children. We had one little girl who, who sold artwork to benefit the CDC Foundation. We've had children doing uh, birthday celebrations on Facebook and asking people to give to, to raise funds for the CDC Foundation. And so it's in many ways, this pandemic uh, has brought public health really to the public. I mean, we've been a, a global experiment, if you will, right? I mean, and it's also been a learning laboratory. The whole world has seen epidemiology in action uh, with this pandemic and hearing about it every day. Uh, folks are talking about flattening the curve and using terminology that now is household uh, terminology that no one ever knew before. But I personally am so gratified to see public health, which does touch all of our lives every day, whether you know it or not, to see that come to life and see it through our donors. So it's been really, really fun to see. Well, it's, it's a great point, too, because all our lives have been impacted. I mean, even kids, it, it's incredible to hear about kids jumping in to help, but their lives have been incredibly impacted by this. They're not going to school right now. They're not having play dates. And so, um, so that's, it's great to hear that everybody's kind of getting involved to be part of the solution. Yes. No, it's been fantastic. And, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, the donor advice funds, uh, individuals with donor advice funds have been very generous. It's been fantastic. So good to hear. We'll be right back. I know we're, we're still in the midst of this COVID crisis, but I'm going to give you a chance to have a bit of a brag book here, Judy, because your organization has done such good work uh, across a number of different health disasters in the past. So tell me a, about a story of where you were able to see real impacts of your foundation's work during a global crisis in the past. Yes. Yeah, so the story I'll tell on that one is uh, goes back to Ebola in uh, Sierra Leone. Uh, so it was December 2014. Uh, Sierra Leone was the hot spot. It had the highest transmission in West Africa at that time. And something needed to be done. Uh, we really needed to, to break this chain of transmission of Ebola. And so you had a lot, you know, you had the World Health Organization, you had CDC, you had a lot of partners on the ground, and it really was that basic core public health. They needed to have the contact tracing, you needed door-to-door going out to find out who was sick, get them isolated, find out who their contacts were. It was basic public health. The problem was they didn't have enough funding to hire the army of citizens that really were needed to do the door-to-door. And so CDC called us, uh, they called the foundation at the time, explained the situation, and within hours, they were getting a call from the foundation saying, we've got the philanthropic funds ready to go. CDC was on the plane, the leaders were uh, on their way, 
And you can read about it. It's, it was called the Western Surge, um, and it turned the tide of the, the Ebola outbreak in, in Sierra Leone at that time. What a wonderful example of where philanthropic dollars made such a difference in the moment, but were, they were used in, in such a strategic way, along with the government funding and the other, other support that was there. So I, I love that story. And I had an opportunity to visit uh, West Africa this past summer, and it was, I stood on the streets of uh, Freetown where the Western Surge took place and talked to citizens that had been, uh, one, Ebola survivors themselves. They talked about their families. They talked about the loss of family members. And um, many of them had been those boots on the ground that were part of that door-to-door canvassing to find out who was sick and to try to uh, beat back Ebola at that time. That must have been an incredible experience for you to to kind of see the result and and hear about the result from people directly. And and also, what a great um, what a great example of the importance of government and philanthropy working side by side and playing somewhat different roles to solve the same problems. We are at that inter- intersection of, of philanthropy and and uh, government. And then the other thing I would just say, uh, what was really fun about that trip is whether I was in Liberia, Sierra Leone, uh, Guinea. Everybody I talked to said, oh, you're from the CDC Foundation. We, we literally were a household name in West Africa because of, of the presence that the foundation had and the contribution. And, and we only can do that because of our donors. Now you're a household name in the U.S., so uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on this podcast. So, so Judy, I'm going to ask you to take out your crystal ball now. I told you I'd get back to this point, and it would be really helpful if you could tell us your perspective on how COVID-19 will shape the future of healthcare. Do you think this pandemic will have a long-term impact on healthcare? So I think it was Peter Drucker that said the best way to predict the future is to create it. Um, and so I think the future will depend on the leadership and how we come together and seize this moment in history, which is a great moment in history. We all need to realize the significance of that. So what, some of the things I, I would take out my crystal ball and say are going to happen. I think telehealth is going to likely be sustained. Um, I just read the Cleveland Clinic during COVID went from something like 3,400 uh, telehealth uh, visits to over 200,000. Um, so that's the scale, and that's just one, you know, one uh, system. So across the U.S., we're going to see that. Some of the things I'm concerned about going forward, um, you know, our healthcare workers have been under extreme conditions, and there's going to be burnout. And I'm hopeful that COVID will inspire the next generation to to go into careers in nursing and medicine. But I don't know that we know the rest of the story on that yet. Um, I do believe going forward uh, that. Um, we will be, again, the digital world is going to be increased. And I think artificial intelligence is something that we will continue to see increasing in healthcare and the use of that. But I'm also really concerned about our rural communities. Uh, when we think about disparities, they're predicting 25% of rural hospitals uh, are in jeopardy and will close. So we're going to have this greater disparity than we even have now across our country. And then, of course, you've you know, worldwide, uh, it's even greater. So it's going to take all of us coming together and being smart about this. We do know that our healthcare system is fragmented. I mean, it's challenging. Um, I was actually just on a, a call with some colleagues uh, earlier today, and they said that uh, because of the community health worker system in other countries, like in Liberia, it's actually easier 
when someone has a positive result uh, for an infectious disease like COVID, it's easier to get them the services they need than in the U.S. because we're fragmented. And um, so I think looking, we need to look at things through the lens of the system at large and how are we how are we managing? Um, we we can do this, but it's going to take some some real leadership. All right. So Judy, as we wrap up, I'm going to turn to you for advice on two important topics. The first one is. What is your most important piece of advice right now for donors who are looking to donate to organizations that support global health care? First of all, I, I hope they do support global health care because we need it because we none of us are, are fully protected unless we're protected around the world. And there are uh, tremendous organizations. Um, I, I will do a shout out for the, the UN Foundation and what they've done with their solidarity uh, fund uh, to support the World Health Organization. Um, I think for investments, uh, to invest in those nonprofits or those organizations that have a wide range of partners, understand the space well, and then trust them to put the dollars uh, where they're most needed. I think the collaboration fund, when we have philanthropy come together uh, in funds that are more collaborative, uh, we can do so much more. I mean, there's so much more strength and, and power in numbers and uh, resources. Uh, and there's there are good strategies that have been developed that haven't always been deployed because of lack of resources. And so now's the time to step up and let's fill those gaps and, and make a difference. So uh, for our donors who are listening out there, even if you've already given, keep giving. Is that a good message? As much as we've been able to do, the, the requests coming in, the needs that we see, and especially moving forward as we build resilient communities and, and emerge out of this and, and bring our economy back, uh, the needs are tremendous. They're, they're really quite great. That makes sense. The second piece of advice I'll turn to you for. We've all spent a fair amount of time in quarantine now. Um, we spent time apart from our friends, our family, etc. We've been unable to do the things we normally do, but now the world is starting to reopen. What is your advice on how we can navigate in this new world where things and places are reopening, but it's still not normal? You had, you had mentioned creating a, a COVID-confident community, but What's your advice for us? How do we deal with this? Yes. So I think everyone needs to accept the fact that COVID is here. And and with that, we all just need to be smart uh, because this is a virus. The enemy here is a virus that that, uh, that we uh, still are learning about. What we know to help mitigate the risk of infection, the masks that the CDC has recommended when you're in the grocery, those types of things, protecting others good hand washing, good hand hygiene, all of those things, the physical distancing. I read the other day, I think Tony Fauci even said, let's stop shaking hands. I mean, so culturally, this is going to be challenging for us, but we've all been home. So going forward, we need to go back in the world slowly and methodically and just be very careful. It's not that we can't have fun and, and re-engage. Um, I was on a, a call yesterday with uh, Macy's uh, department stores reopening and they were talking about how they'll no longer do makeup uh, during this period of time. They're not going to put makeup on to the, the clients, but they they will show them what it'll look like on a, on a piece of paper and you know, they're keeping their distancing. Um, I think there are some very responsible uh, organizations and uh, businesses that are being incredibly thoughtful and they're going to take these precautions. So it, it will be a new world. Yeah, and it is helpful to see how innovative organizations are being, you know, as, as we go out into this reopening world, organizations like Macy's and others are really trying to think through how to make it comfortable for us. So that's, that's very helpful. 
Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Judy. This has been an incredible conversation. Um, and many thanks to our audience for listening. I hope you found today's conversation to be interesting, informative, and helpful. And I hope that you all find the value in giving.